It's Sunday morning. Time for the Great Outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you so much for joining me on this positively, wonderfully cold January morning here in Chicagoland. And if you're listening throughout the Midwest, you know it's winter. It's about time we've had it. And if you're a snowbird who's going to listen to this later in the week on the podcast, Chicago's delivering what it always delivers in January. It's cold. Well, I'm going to start off the show with something that might set the tone for the day, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but at the same time, it comes under the category, you can't make this stuff up. So, last week, the news broke that the director of the Fish and Wildlife Service for the state of Washington was accused of poaching. The director of the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife, North Central Region, is accused of poaching. How can this be? And I'm sitting here thinking one of my great friends for 35 years, Brent Manning, longtime director of the Illinois Department of Natural Resources, the longest serving director actually ever. And also he was a director of Wyoming. Game and Fish Department, and I've known many, many Game and Fish Directors through my life. John Cooper, South Dakota, Lloyd Jones, North Dakota. I could literally go around the country with great fish and game directors I've known. Not one of those individuals that I could even imagine would commit knowingly a wildlife violation. And yet, in the state of Washington, the director... um is accused of hunting big game in a closed season, in a closed area. And you're just wondering, how can this be? Uh, He could face a year in jail and $5,000 fine. And I'm thinking and talking to you this morning, you know, that's, that's not sufficient. If you are hired and put in charge of the natural resources of a state, there are hundreds of thousands, actually millions of people who depend upon you to set an example, and you go out and you poach, and you shoot something out of season? Unbelievable. So I I hope the humiliation, not just of this individual, but of any individual who's in a position of authority for managing the wildlife resources or fisheries resources of a state or the federal government would be just humiliated, publicly humiliated for breaking the law, the laws that they set up and impose on the rest of us, but which apparently don't apply to them. Now, often we can joke about members of Congress setting up laws, it's not a joke, setting up laws that apply to all of us, but don't apply to them. That seems to be common. But we, I think we hold our state directors, uh, fish and wildlife, natural resources to, to a higher standard. And it really, to me, is uh, is a signal that maybe there are individuals who are in these positions for the wrong reasons. 
I'm not going to beat this individual up anymore, except to say, I, I just, I'm really shocked. Maybe I shouldn't be. I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, but I have known some absolutely fabulous natural resource directors for states. And, and they set a very high bar. And then one guy goes and does this in another state and it brings the whole, brings the whole universe down. So a number of years ago, like 30 years ago, uh, there were some game wardens in Mississippi who worked for the state of Mississippi who, after the close of the deer season, um, shot six deer, doe deers all, uh, and were caught by the local farmer. And um, they were never prosecuted, but it in fact happened and everyone in the local area knew it happened. And they just expected the local game warden to have the laws not apply to them. That was a long time ago, 30 years ago, but apparently we still, we still suffer from some of this. And I think of Colleen Callahan, the fabulous, really, and I really mean this, the fabulous director of the Illinois Department of Natural Resources and the high standards that she and John Rogner, the deputy director, have brought to the state of Illinois. And, and I can't imagine something like that happening in Illinois, thankfully. A lot, of, a lot of things happen in Illinois, as we all know, that maybe we aren't so proud of, but I think we should be darn proud of Colleen Callahan and John Rogner at the Illinois Department of Natural Resources for the high ethical standards that they set for the great job they're doing so anyway, when a state fishing game director poaches, it is news. It's deservedly so, and the guy ought to be run out of town. And if you ask me, he should lose his hunting privileges for the rest of his life because we entrusted him, in this case, State of Washington entrusted him, to manage their natural resources, and he knowingly went and poached out of season, something that if you or I did, we certainly would be uh, admonished for. But we don't set the laws. We just live by them. So moving on from that, I actually have a very funny uh, story that I want to talk about for a moment. It goes back a long way. And it goes back to the days of Frank Belrose when he was writing about natural resource uh, issues in, um, in Illinois and, and scientific issues. And he... Um, wrote a paper, this is a long time ago, back in the 50s, he wrote a paper about the amount of baiting that took place in the state of Illinois back in the 1920s, and it's called One State's Contribution. And I make mention of this because in the state of Louisiana today, uh, duck hunting appears to have never been worse than it is now. Never. And I've said for a long time, well, the state of Louisiana was one of the last places, Louisiana hunters, to stop baiting for ducks and geese. Then that, that's, that's, a known, that's pretty much accepted. Louisiana, in the marshes of the Gulf Coast, baited heavily, and they did so. I personally am aware of people who baited as recently as 20 years ago. Uh, it was outlawed, of course, a long time ago, uh, 1935. Um, but in some cases, it was actually outlawed in the 20s. Um, Louisiana carried on the tradition for a long time. Uh, and, and now they have generally very poor duck hunting. And I believe one of the reasons they do is that they don't bait anymore. The fines finally became serious enough. People went to jail. They lost their pickup trucks. They lost their boats. And it became not worth it. 
And, and if you look at society as a whole, and I'm certainly not going to get into a social discussion this morning, but I'll offer this contrast. When the fines for baiting waterfowl were not enforced, lots of people baited. And as the fines became more restrictive, they were less likely to do so. And Dave Hall, a famous federal game warden, and Bill Miller in Louisiana, along with others, basically broke the back of baiting in Louisiana by sending people to jail, not just for a few months, but for a long time, and big financial fines. And as I said, they lost their pickup trucks. They, they lost everything used in the act of hunting. So that means that their pickup trucks went, their boats went, their guns went, and the single most important thing that went with it, they lost their right to hunt. And in all the interviews of all the people that were arrested for baiting in the 1990s and the end of the early 2000s when it really came to an end, without exception, they said the number one fine the number one penalty was the loss of the right to go hunting. So I just think about that and what's going on in today's society. And uh, in the case of hunting, it made a difference. Penalties made a difference, and it stopped people from poaching. So what I want to talk about for a moment is what Frank Bowrose wrote about, which is, which is absolutely fascinating. Illinois, and, and maybe what I think I better do is I'm going to finish this story when I come back from the break. Because it's, it's really a, it's a fascinating story on history. And then I'm also going to talk a little about the SHOT Show, the Shooting Hunting Outdoor Trade Show, which took place in Las Vegas recently. But did anyone notice? And if I have time, I'm going to talk a little bit about crows in California, something to crow about. I'll be back in just a moment. Thanks for listening. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN Radio. And first, a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana in Chicagoland, Chevrolet dealers. In the field, hunters need to be alert. Sense the environment around them and know exactly where they are. Communicate seamlessly with their dogs. And when it comes to pickup trucks, you want the same qualities. The all-new Chevy Silverado comes with an available 4G Wi-Fi hotspot for seamless communication. It's designed to handle the toughest loads with advanced trailering technology. Tough on the road and off. And the all-new design gives you more cargo space than the competition. Chevy Silverado is the most dependable, longest-lasting, full-size pickup on the road. Plus, there's never been a better time to see your local Chevy dealer about the Big Fix lease. It's an amazing lease deal that can lower your monthly payments and give you more Chevy, all for less money. That's a treasure hunt. So head to your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and see why Chevy is the number one best-selling brand in Chicagoland, now eight years running. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Thank you for joining me, Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. And I'm not quite sure why I'm so cheerful on this frigid Sunday morning, but I am. And I hope that you are, and I hope listening to this show will give you some levity and maybe some perspectives on things. Uh, so, one state's contribution. It's a story of Illinois. We're, we're famous again, but we were famous back in the 1920s. Frank Belrose, arguably he and Al Hochbaum, the greatest waterfowl biologists of all time. Illinois was proud to have him. He ran the Natural History Survey for many years, followed by Steve Rivera. Who, who ran it equally well, but Frank Belrose and his books, Ducks, Geese, and Swans in North America, is the Bible, if you will, of, of anything to do with waterfowl 
uh, in North America. He's unfortunately, Frank was deceased quite a while ago. I had the pleasure of knowing him. What a, what a man. But he wrote about Illinois' fame for waterfowl and waterfowl hunting extended far and wide during the early part of this century, meaning the 20th century. The, nori- the notoriety of the Mallard populations in the Illinois rivers elicited incredible comments and one from the director of the then biological survey, which would be the Fish and Wildlife Service equivalent today, when all of the ducks are gone, there will be mallards on the Illinois River. Well, as it turned out, 100 years later, um, the Illinois River has seen such a decline in mallard populations. Yes, there's still mallards on the Illinois, but it's no longer thought that when there are, no, when there are very few mallards left, they'll be on the Illinois River. But one of the reasons there were so many birds there, and this is what I wanted to talk about, was baiting which I talked about before the break, and we don't, we don't even think about baiting in today's world. But listen to these numbers. In 1928, they counted 6.5 million ducks on three major lakes in the Beardstown, Illinois region. But there are 6.5 million ducks in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Tennessee, Arkansas combined. It's, but there were 6.5 million ducks, almost all mallards, on the Illinois River in 1928. And why? Well, this is what this is what I think really kind of amazing. Beardstown, Illinois, on the Illinois River, was known as the baiting capital of America. It was the location of famous clubs and commercial shooting grounds. And in 1928, get a load of this number, as much as 7,000 bushels of corn per season were put on a 20-acre tract of land by one hunting club. 7,000 bushels of corn on 20 acres. That's piled feet deep. But that's what it took to attract the ducks. It was legal. And by gosh, it did attract the ducks. In fact, it attracted some 6.5 million ducks, even if they were off by 50%. And there were 3.2 million ducks. That's still far more ducks than we could even imagine today. But think about that for a moment. Six, 7,000 bushels of corn. That's when baiting was big business. That's how hunting was done. Um, and ultimately, in 1933, um, it became pretty much illegal to, uh, to hunt ducks over bait. But in Mason and Tazewell counties in Illinois, from a plane, the uh, precursor of the Fish and Wildlife Service counted 250 pens of live decoys, along with corn bait used to attract mallards into the shooting stands. Uh, live decoys, folks, were, were, were outlawed in 1918 uh, under the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, but in 1933, as I said, we... We still were using them. Um, Clear Lake, Jack Lake, and Crane Lakes uh, were the major staging areas. Um, And so that's the history that Illinois contributed. We talk about the Illinois River Valley for its immense waterfowl populations, its incredible habitat, its wild celery beds, its wild rice beds, the sago of the Illinois River. All that is lore or all that is gone. It's part of our legacy. We don't talk about the fact that I guess According to Frank Belrose, who knew more than anybody else, the Illinois River Valley was the home of baiting, more baiting in the Illinois River Valley than than anywhere else in America. So moving from baiting, let's talk for a second about crows. And if I can just uh, pull up my comment here on crows, the city of California 
as I said, today's show would be a little bit of history and a little bit of, of light nature. Uh, today's show, a California city is overrun by crows. Could a laser be the answer? Well, I know something else that can be the answer, and it's, uh, it, it's not a laser. Um, it's in Silicon Valley. The town is called Sunnyvale, California. And over a 1,000 crows have moved in to down, the downtown area during the pandemic, according to reports. And the city of Sunnyvale is determined to get rid of them because the crows are making a mess. And by the way, crows make a lot of noise. So they have come up with this idea that they think this is a genius idea to use a laser with a yellow beam to harass the crows to get to leave, get them to leave the town. Ironically, I have some experience with lasers in Mississippi. Snow goose populations have reached a point in many areas of Mississippi where they are absolutely destroying the food placed out for other waterfowl, especially ducks. And a number of landowners learned a few years ago that lasers with a green light at the end of the laser would harass the birds and get them in the air at night. And if you put the green light on the lead snow goose, you could lead it away from your property. And if you did this day after day after day, you would scare the geese away. Of course, they just went somewhere else where they weren't using a laser. But in Sunnydale, Sunnyvale, California, they now have, too, decided that for the cost of $20, goodness knows how much they spent to determine this. They could have called me or they probably could have called any farmer in Louisiana or uh, Arkansas or Mississippi and asked them. Uh, but for the cost of $20, they're going to get a laser with a green light, and they're going to try to get the crows out of their town. If that doesn't work, I know a lot of crow hunters in the Midwest who would love to go out to Sunnydale, California, and Sunnyvale, California, and, and show them how to get rid of the crows permanently. We used to have wonderful crow hunting in Illinois. Uh, West Nile put really hurt their populations. Uh, but it is actually, it's not a joking matter, whether it's crows or cormorants or other birds that are moving into urban areas unwanted. They, uh, they are causing havoc, and it's all part of what I've been talking about on and off over the past number of years here, the rise in, in predator bird populations, which are exploding, and we don't seem to have much of a way to deal with them. So I'll be back much more next week. I'm going to talk a little about hunter education next week, the SHOT Show, maybe uh, an antenna which could actually tell us a lot about birds that we don't know. It's fascinating. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next Sunday morning at the Great Outdoors Show. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.